Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Deep Blue Holder podcast. Thanks for joining in for this episode. I am once again your host, Larry Holder. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. Uh, today, we're going to be having a bit of a discussion with a gentleman by the name of James Blackman. James is a technical diving instructor, and he's based in Miami, Florida. Uh, he, you know, his uh, social media presence, especially when it comes to uh, Instagram and uh, uh, YouTube, quite impressive. He has a lot of really good content, a lot of really relevant gear reviews, some nice topics that he, he would cover. In fact, some of my decisions in terms of what gear I would lean towards were uh, influenced by the content that, uh, that he put out. And um, I think it's going to be a pretty good discussion. Now, before we get into that, I wanted to just mention a couple of things with regards to um, diving in general and, uh, well, specifically uh, gill nets. So those of you who would be aware would know that um, gill nets are one of the, the many different types of nets that fishermen would use. Now, gill nets, uh, they're basically designed to be suspended in the ocean but more in like the open areas, not so much in an area that would have reefs. Uh, the thing with a gill net is that sometimes different things can happen, whether it be the net is abandoned, maybe the net is damaged due to bad weather, but they tend to, sometimes they just get abandoned and eventually they start to deteriorate and fragment a bit. Now, when this happens, people may think, well, yeah, it's getting destroyed, that's great. The thing is, these nets sometimes drop in the water and they go a bit deeper and find themselves entangled amongst coral reefs. And when this happens, you will find that a lot of the um, sea creatures that thrive on the reefs, they could very well get caught in the gill, in the gill net. So uh, I, uh, a dive that I did some time ago, uh, we encountered a gill net uh, stuck between the reefs. And um, on this gill net, we found at least one file fish. It was still alive. We got him out. Um, we found a couple lobsters. One of the lobsters was, you know, it's already, it was already dead. And the other one was alive. They both appeared to be juvenile, given the size. Um, we also found there, there were a couple other fishes that were dead within the, the, the net. And one that was a little bit bigger, we realized afterwards that it was an eel. Um, we, of course, uh, took it upon ourselves to uh, cut up the, the net. Um, basically, you know, divers would normally have some type of cutting tool with them, whether it be a dive knife, a pair of shears, different things for different purposes. Um, typically, I would normally carry just a dive knife. Um, of course, rescue divers tend to have like a, a knife as well as a pair of shears and so on. Uh, so members of me, there were two rescue divers on the team that day, and they actually took it upon themselves to, you know, get rid of the net from that area. Um, we made one little mistake, though, because we, we, when we released the, the live animals, the, some of the, 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 the eel were still entangled, and um, that came up above water. And let me tell you, when we removed our masks and regulators, it was the worst scent I've ever experienced. Uh, that's a, a rotted eel. Wow. I just, just thinking about it has my, my nostrils. Ooh, uh, wow. That's, that was something. Uh, 
but yeah, that's what I wanted to, to, to just uh, talk about. Uh, so sometimes, um, you know, these things can happen and it's, it's responsible. The responsible thing for divers to do is remove these nets when they're found in areas such as amongst the reefs. Um, now, I'm not saying that if you're out diving and you just see a gill net in the water to get rid of it because you don't know um, who placed it there at that point. Of course, if it's on the reef, then it's definitely doing harm and it's not serving a commercial purpose. But if it's out in the ocean, it could be that the commercial fishermen in the area, they're the ones that left it there. Of course, it's simple to find out what's going on with it. You just talk to the people in the area. Uh, if you're diving within a, an area where you use a local guide, just talk to that local guide and you know they would um they would advise you as to if uh, there's been any uh, nets left behind or if there's something there that um, that is supposed to be there. Of course, uh, most of these fishermen, they don't want uh, gill nets to be stuck in areas like on the reef itself because it's going to affect um, the, the business in general. It's going to affect the presence of um, divers who would come and hire them. It's going to affect uh, the quality of the catch because uh, even though it may not have the biggest impact right away, bit by bit, the presence of a gill net on the reef, reef will affect the quantity and the quality of the fish that uh, the fishermen are able to catch. So it's just something I wanted to chat about a little bit before we jump into our interview. So on that note, that's it for the little bit of an intro that we have today. Uh, without wasting any more time, we are going to go straight into that interview with Mr. James Blackman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Deep Blue Holder podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, uh, someone who I will consider a bit of um, uh, an inspiration to many divers, uh, not just because of his diving journey, but also because of the work that he does in terms of uh, uh, different videos with regards to gear reviews, uh, product analysis, and even some of the things that he would say about the different uh, agencies and courses that you can pursue. Uh, he has a channel that is quite popular. It's known as Divers Ready, and his name is James Blackman. How are you doing today, James? Hey, Larry. I'm doing well, thanks, mate. How are you? Not too bad. It's uh, it's a bit hot where I am right now, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bit of a heat wave here in Trinidad and Tobago. I imagine Ooh. Miami is a little bit warm right now, too. Yeah, totally humid, always muggy air, yeah, but uh, yeah. Well, and you're in Trinidad, right? Yes, I am right now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here. Love it. Beautiful place. Beautiful place. It is. Have you dived here before? Not dived. I've been there, but I haven't. I didn't have the opportunity to dive. I was there for work. So. Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, I'm hoping to. Um, I'm hoping to visit some of the places that I've been to over the years before I was scuba certified, and um, right those wrongs. Yeah, absolutely. Aren't we all? Same thing yeah. here. Yeah. I often joke about um, the fact that I've been to the Philippines twice. Never dived. There you go. Yeah. Well, you have to come next year for with uh, me and Mark. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely something that I'm looking at. Well, yeah, that's uh, that would be uh, around what time in the year? I think we're looking at May next year. We were at least. I don't know if they're going to be open by then. It's you know. Yeah. Everything's up in the air. All travel plans are up in the air. We just I know, right? Take what we can get. 
you know, um, what, what, for me, what's been affected is my progression because right here in Trinidad and Tobago, we've had different lockdowns where at different points we were allowed access to the beaches and uh, the ocean and so on. And then at other points we were not. So I've not been able to get my logbook to the point where I intended for it to be at this point. Ideally, I wanted to do um, a minimum of 10, 10 dives per year. I only got certified last year. And I'm at half that right now. I'm about eight or nine. So it's not where I want it to be. And, you know, um, if I'm going to be joining you guys, trust me, it's going to be when I get that, those numbers up a little get bit. Get the higher. numbers up, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, experience is everything, you know. Correct. Uh, so, James, tell me a little bit, and uh, let's tell our listeners a little bit about your journey as a professional diver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you just strictly as the professional ranks, um, I, I coasted around the world on recreational certifications for, for years. I was a, I was a hobbyist diver. I was a fun diver. Uh, I did it as a, a, a hobby while I had a, you know, a sensible day job, so to speak. And, um, you know, that, that it kind of coasted me and it, it's funny the way that I actually fell into doing the first professional dive level certification, which is dive master, of course, um, was kind of, I was on a break between working on ships. I had two months off, uh, and I got off the ship in, uh, I think I was in Singapore and I had intentions of going backpacking and traveling through Indonesia. So I get to a little Island between Bali and Lombok, the Gili islands, specifically Gili T Chwangan, and right. I am stumbling around the beach there and I walk into a dive center and the paint was still wet on the walls. It was brand new. They were just opening, big opening, you know, the whole thing. And all the staff were new and all the equipment was new and everything was bright and shiny. They had a brand new bookcase full of manuals all lined up and organized. I mean, it was, it looked like a hospital. It was so clinical, so clean and so <laughs> organized. And I wandered in there and I spoke to a very nice Italian guy who was very friendly. And I said, look, I, I, you know, I've got a bungalow down the beach. I'm going to be here for a month. I just want to do a whole ton of diving. So how much would it cost me to do like, you know, two dives a day, five days a week for four weeks. And he was like, well, you're already a rescue diver. If you're going to do that much diving, why not do your dive master course? And I was like, well, that kind of makes sense, really. Why wouldn't I? He was like, because then you get unlimited free diving. You pay us for the course. You know, it wasn't an internship, but there is a certain element to doing a dive master where you have to do work. You have to actually work as a dive master right. because it's professional training, which makes sense. Um, so actually that's how I kind of fell into it. It just seemed to make sense. They were like, Oh, how about me dive master at the time? I didn't have any intention of working as a dive master, but then once you've got the certificate in your pocket and I'm signing off ships in other places around the world, Costa Rica or somewhere in the Caribbean or, uh, you know, off the coast of, uh, Tanzania, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I could just go and get a job at this resort and dive master for a month or two in between my my stints working on ships um so that's what i did for for a number of years and then uh one of those stints led me to uh utila uh, honduras mm -hmm. uh and then my instructor course followed naturally where i got to meet uh the the legend andy phillips the uh gone too soon course director the the head instructor there at uh utila dive center who became a very good friend of mine uh, and he took me through my IDC and all that good stuff. And uh, next thing you know, I'm an instructor. So now I'm an instructor and I've been at sea for 10 years. And I'm thinking, you know, it'd be really good if I could get a like full-time job in scuba diving. You know, not necessarily teaching, but running a dive center, running boats, applying some marketing skills, 
and doing some teaching as well. And it just so happened that I found the perfect opportunity in the Caribbean in St. Martin um, to run a dive center for a husband and wife couple that had a small family run business that was expanding and they needed to bring in a manager because they'd been doing it all themselves and it was just getting a bit out of hand. And I worked there for three years and, and had a fantastic time. But yeah, it was really, you know, everyone says, oh, you must have had like a really determined, ambitious career, but it all kind of happened by accident. It really does. I don't like to take too much credit for it. I really don't. It's just kind of like I bumbled into my dive master. I happened to do my instructor course. Right. And then eventually the idea formed in my head, hey, this could be the next career. This is the next thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly seems like it, it worked out in our pretty best, right? Indeed. And that was 13 years ago now. I don't, you know, I don't, don't even know how that happened. Well, I guess uh, sometimes I say, um, yeah, maybe maybe you chose the, the career, or maybe the career chose you. Exactly, exactly. I think yeah. So, so um, I, I I I like what you just said there, and it's uh, it's nice that you shared your path of professional progression. Now, for me, I'm still I still consider myself new. I I don't try to fool myself into thinking I am overly experienced as a diver. Um, I am still an open water diver and I don't see that as a, a major disadvantage because I still think there's a lot to see as an open water diver. Um, however, I want to progress as a recreational diver. I want to progress, but I want to progress safely. Um, mm. You know, so tell me some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing, um, you know, when you finish your open water certification, the dive instructor's job is not to teach you everything about diving. The dive instructor's job is to get you to a point of safety where you can conduct a recreational level dive and probably not kill yourself. That's the dive instructor's job. So they've got you to that point, but that doesn't make you in four dives a very well-rounded diver. And that's what I always sort of insist on saying is the only thing from that point forward that's going to make you a better diver, once you know the rules, once you've been taken underwater under the guidance of an instructor, which is important. And they've, they've taught you the best practices for different scenarios, uh, particularly for where you are diving. And so, you know, diving in Trinidad will be very different from diving in North Canada, for example. Very, so yeah. it's got to be very specific to the location. But once you've done that and you've been taught how not to kill yourself, the only thing that makes you a better diver from that point forward is diving is experience. So just like you were talking about in the, in our introduction there, how like you're jonesing at the bit to get more dives, more dives, more dives. Couldn't be happier to hear that because that's the only thing that will make you better is repetition, repetition, repetition. And the more variety you can get in your diving as well, the better. You know, if you've got somebody who's done the same dive a hundred times or somebody who's done 20 different dives, the guy with 20 different dives has more experience than the guy that did the same dive a hundred times. Right, because it's different conditions, different, you know, experience and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's something I'm really big on pushing with a lot of my students. And, and the annoying thing is it seemed to be fighting against the agencies in many examples because the agencies want to sell you the next course. And when you finish your open water course, you get an email from the agency that you're registered through any of the agencies and not yeah. singling one out over the others here. And the immediate one is congratulations on passing your open water course. Have you considered taking the next step and doing the advanced course? Wait a second. I just finished my open water like two seconds ago. I haven't even, I don't know what gear I want to buy yet. I haven't even, you know, picked where I want to go on my next diving vacation. All of those right. things are way more important decisions than jumping straight onto doing your advanced level. 
And then when you finish your avast, they immediately try and push rescue down your throat. Well, hang on a minute. Let me get a little bit more experience with depth. Let me get a bit more experience with navigation. You know, these things that you want to build as, as sort of skill sets before, you know, jumping on the next ladder, on the next ladder, on the next ladder. Um, so I'm a big fan of sort of slowing, I don't want to say slowing people down or holding people back. That sounds wrong. But I really want to make sure that people are enjoying the diving and enjoying the progress and getting experience in a very sort of natural way rather than just having courses rammed down their throat. And I know that's ironic because I make my money selling courses. But, <laughs> but I don't want to rush anyone through the process. That's, that's sort of the big thing for me. Yeah, and, and I, I completely understand that. I remember, um, uh, so I went through a bit of an interesting journey um, in how silly it was. I first decided that I wanted to learn how to dive in 2011 while in Dominica, uh, but I didn't do it. I waited around hoping to get company with some of my friends to do it with me. In 2013, 2014, I messaged, uh, based on a recommendation from a trusted friend, a dive instructor, and his name is Ron Tia, great guy. And Ron said, you know, he sent all the information, very thorough email, all the details, price, safety, the steps, um, how many sessions in the pool, how many theory sessions. And it was incredible. I had all the information on my, on my, at my fingertips and I did nothing with it. Uh, kept traveling to different places over the years, did snorkeling, Barbados, Grenada, did sailing, uh, Philippines, did parasailing, uh, Dubai, went and looked at this ridiculous aquarium, seeing um, persons pay to dive in the aquarium. And I did nothing with, you know, the information I had at hand. And it wasn't until last year, um, just before the start of the pandemic, got in touch with the instructor, the same one, did the same program with him. It was fantastic. Met uh, some really good friends that technically I have coffee with every morning because I kept oh. the names on hand. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, um, after that, as soon as we get certified, we find out that our borders are closed. We can't, we can't leave the country. Thankfully, it's a twin island state. So we can go to, from one island to the next. But so many things are happening with the pandemic. Can't really take part in anything. So what do I do? I decide to go on YouTube and look at videos. And that's what brought me to your channel, actually. And I was looking at different um, things. And you had something once in terms of the courses that you recommend that you know and the courses that people may do if they wanted to and the courses mm. that were you know they're really not as you know as important and you know I, I paid attention to all those things um I also paid attention to some of the stuff you, talk, you spoke about with regards to gear in fact the fins that I purchased were based on some uh one that you reviewed and recommended it was the Aqualung Storm mm-hmm yeah and perfect like for where you are yeah absolutely yeah yeah i like it i mean eventually yeah. like most divers i will want to get that um that rk3 but i don't need it for the type of diving i'm doing right now no 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 yeah. no i mean you're in board short and rash guards most of the year right yeah most of the year i mean uh my last dive i used a wetsuit but um the three dives i did before that i was in rash guard and shorts so yes. i had to like figure out my waiting once again so yeah. Yeah. that was a bit, bit a bit of a bit of a, a story in itself because um, oh, well that, that's kind of you to say I'm, I'm glad the equipment videos help i think i you know i get a lot of reaction from those a lot of people asking me 
you know, I'd review every piece of dive gear that's out there, but unfortunately it's down to what the manufacturers are willing to work with me on. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's funny cause that is something it's, it's, I get it. It's such a gear intensive sport. You need to have all the equipment and you want to make the right choices because dive gear is not cheap and you want to invest in stuff that's going to a work for the type of diving you're doing. Yes. B fit your budget and C it's going to last you a long time because it's an investment. Right. Um, yeah. so to have that responsibility of making these videos and putting them out there and being like, I recommend these fins, but I got to be more specific than that. I recommend these fins for this type of diving, this type of diving, this type of dinner thing. You see a lot of videos out there from people who are trying to sell fins, which I'm not doing. I don't sell anything at all. I have no retail operation. And they're like, okay, RK3s are the only fins you need. They're the only fit. They're the best fins I've ever made. They're the... And that's not true. Because for you diving in tropical warm water in a rash garden shorts, they're way too heavy, way too heavy for you. You know, yeah. your feet are going to be down, your head's going to be up, you're not going to be in trim at all, and there's going to be very little you can do about it. Um, so they're not the best fins for every situation. They're great fins. I own two pairs. I use them all the time, but not for every single dive. You know, I didn't take them when we went to Bermuda, for example. Right. Um, so those kind of situations, like we, we try and explain gear, not just in our, oh, this is the best dive computer that's ever been made, but this is the best dive computer for this type of person who wants to do this type of diving, or this is the best mask for this particular situation or whatever it may be. So we, we try and we try and iron those out rather than just give sort of those blanket reviews and right. appreciate and the say, uh, support on that. No problem, man. I appreciate the content. And I have to say that um, for me personally, I do not need anything that would make it more difficult for me to maintain trim because I'm still working on it. Nobody so, does, man. Yeah. Everybody is. Everybody's still working on it. Yeah. In, in fact, on uh, my last dive, um, I was accompanied by uh, a couple uh, rescue divers uh, and two, one other open water diver and one advanced open water diver. And uh, these are all friends of mine who all were certified by the same instructor, but at different points. And they were telling me after they observed my, my trim and buoyancy and so on, they pointed out what I need to work on. But then they let me know that for the first year and a half of their diving, they looked very similar to the way I looked. So don't let it, you know, be a detraction or a deterrent in any way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Don't let, you know, you touch on a great point there because there's so much negativity and finger pointing and sniping and scuba diving. And I just have no time for it at all. Um, you'll see it on other YouTube channels. You'll see it on other, you know, anytime you go into a chat room or a forum and all this kind of stuff that people are pointing out what other people are doing wrong. Yeah, we want to help people improve, but there's a, there's a positive way of doing that. So, you know, never feel bad. If you have, uh, you know, if you, you're out of trim, you, you're struggling with your buoyancy, it's good that you acknowledge those mistakes and it's good that you're working to make improvements. I mean, that's what everyone's trying to do in the scuba. Everyone's trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. All my students are trying to get better. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a push for perfection that never happened, you know, it's, it's un unattainable. We, we always think, you know, gotcha. oh, you know, unless you're Gary Dallas, that's it. <laughs> He's the only guy. He's the only guy in the entire world who has mastered scuba diving. That's it. Right. So, so tell me, <laughs> now I know your business, I mean, we have divers ready, but we also have Miami technical diving. Correct. Now, for the benefits of those of us who have not done a set of Googling on what technical diving is, or for those of us who have not done technical diving, 
Would you mind sharing a little bit about not just Miami technical diving, but technical diving on the whole? What is it? And who sure, is it absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, like you said, we, we you know we have two companies. Uh, Divers Ready is our YouTube channel media brand. Uh, Miami Technical Diving is the instructional company, the brand under which I teach. For all intents and purposes, I am an independent instructor. I teach one-to-one -one classes, and I teach the full range of open water, uh, advanced recreational level classes, specialties, all that good stuff. And then I teach technical classes. And a lot of people think that technical diving is commercial diving, working underwater, welding, engineering, surveying, inspecting, that kind of stuff. Not at all. Technical diving is still done for recreation. It's still done for fun, pleasure. We're out there to do the same things that any sport diver is looking to do, and that's enjoy themselves underwater. The difference with technical diving is we don't break the rules of recreational diving. We just move the goalposts a little bit. So in recreational level, you're taught not to go past your no decompression limit for a given depth, right? The time you can stay at a given depth without incurring mandatory decompression obligation. In technical diving, we say, okay, well, we can go past our no decompression limit. We can stay longer at a given depth, but now we're going to accept the responsibility of mandatory decompression, which means we're going to need to plan accordingly, which means we need to carry additional gear, which means we're going to need to map out our gas consumption and make sure that we have enough gas, not just for ourselves, but for any emergencies that might arise or for a buddy contingency where we might need to be sharing gas. Um, we can plan to go deeper because we can go past our no decompression limit. So we're no longer limited to the max depth for recreational training, which would be 40 meters. Uh, 130 feet we can now go deep up to 100 meters 330 feet um, so there's a lot of responsibility and considerations there's a lot of maths involved and really? there's a lot of advanced skills to be able to manage a ton of equipment in the water because you've got to be able to manage all the bottles all the gas you're carrying with you and still be able to master the fundamentals of buoyancy breathing trim and propulsion so that in a nutshell is, is uh, technical diving. I think a lot of people, um, what I think what a lot of people get wrong about technical diving is that we're daredevils, uh, that we're, we're, you know, we're breaking the rules. We're, ooh, we're, we're stuntmen. We're not at all. The, the people I know in the technical diving community are more conservative than the average recreational diver. They're more safety conscious. They're more aware because they know the things that can go wrong and, and the risks are so much higher on a technical dive. Um, there isn't a technical diver I know and respect who jumps off a giant stride entry onto a boat for a technical dive with their fingers crossed. That's not how we manage risk. That's not a sensible way to manage risk on a technical dive. Um, so there's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot of caution involved. And there's a lot of contingency and uh, strategy planning that goes into uh, doing technical diving. Um, and it's it's for people that do want to see things that not many other people want to do. So there is obviously a sense of adventure to it, um, but the safety the safety element is absolutely huge. Gotcha, gotcha. And I mean, uh, that's that's a lot of information for for someone to to how to put it utilize properly um, yeah. under the water because all the I mean, you say it's a lot of maths. I mean, I, I'm thinking physics, biology, chemistry all at once. Just this is like one huge applied science taking yes. place beneath the water and your Absolutely. brain is doing some level of computing that wow 
yeah. yeah, absolutely. So if you've done the planning and you've done your, you know, your plans carefully and you've programmed your computers and you've written down your plans on your wet notes that are in your pocket and that kind of stuff, you right. shouldn't have to do too much maths in the water. If you have to do maths in the water, something's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a good situation. It's not a situation I want to be in. The maths is done the night before while you're, you know, having a cup of tea and a, and a biscuit and you're filling out your dive plan and making your plan for the next day. So, right. you know, for example, yesterday morning, I did a 200 foot dive, 60 meters with a uh, with a buddy of mine, with a friend of mine. We, we hit a deep wreck out of uh, Pompano Beach here in Florida. Yeah. Um, great dive, fun dive. The planning for that dive was done the night before. So I ran my plans. I ran my backup plans. I check all my equipment. I analyze all my gas. I label all my cylinders all loaded into the truck. So in the morning when I get up, I just have to focus on making coffee, having a piece of toast, getting in my truck, driving to the dive center and removing all that stress of last minute planning and, and you know, maths and stuff on the fly. So right. when I show up there, my, my buddy is ready. He's done the same thing. I've done the same thing. We discussed the plan. We were already discussing the plan the night before by text message going backwards and forwards over what we're going to do, what gases we've got. And then we just execute. So the mind then is solely on executing a really good dive. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, I see yeah. you mentioned Pompano Beach earlier. Sure. Um, and the reason I, I bring that up is up until 2019, every year I'll be in Florida at least once for the year. And I mean, uh, maybe you can uh, mention a couple uh, uh, dive sites that I can check out at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for... For the whole Atlantic coast of Florida, uh, we have one long reef system. It's not right. quite a barrier reef because it's broken up and it's patch reef and that kind of stuff. Uh, but if you're at the open water level, there is a 30 foot and a 50 foot reef ledge. So you can go out with any one of a number of operators from Miami up through West Palm Beach to Stewart, right. you know, Jupiter, Pompano Beach, Fort Lauderdale. And they'll all hit the same reef at different patches. Uh, um, there's a ton of wreck dives that are within the recreational limits that are, you know, 60 feet or shallower. If you do go on and get your advanced certification and you're good to 100 feet or 30 meters, um, that opens up a lot more possibilities as well. Um, so there'll be a, you know, a ton of wrecks that you can hit and enjoy. Um, we have 4,000 artificial reefs off the coast of Florida. Uh, at all kinds of depths. So there's shallow wrecks, there's deep wrecks, there's all kinds of different vessels, there's uh, airplanes, there's old water towers, there's all kinds of you know weird structures underwater. There's construction waste where they've gone out and dumped a bunch of jacks underwater, right. um, all that kind of stuff. Florida is not brilliant for shore diving. Um, it, it tends to be, I mean, you can do it, but it tends to be quite challenging with the currents. Mm -hmm. because you could end up a long way away from your entry point, which makes for a long walk back to the car. <laughs> and we know beach. how much scuba gear we use after the dive, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Nothing is heavier in this universe than wet scuba gear. Everyone yeah. knows that. <laughs> right, I mean, that that's, sounds good. I mean, um, so far, I mean, I always hear people talk about Spiegel Groove, Blue Heron Ridge. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, uh, based on what you just said there, I'm guessing there's clearly quite a few other options for me to check out when when I'm traveling more often again. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna be hurt and upset if you come to Florida and we don't dive together. Oh, no, well, I, well, well, it's funny you would mention that because um, I have visited the Miami Technical Diving website. So don't be surprised if um, if I ring you up one day and say, hey, James, I'm gonna be in town. 
let's see if we can work on one of these certifications. I expect it. I look forward to it. Yeah. Let's oh, do quick, it. quick one. I know you recently had a pretty awesome dive, one that you spoke about for some time um, before it, it actually took place, and it's called the Sardine Run. You want to just tell some of our listeners about the Sardine Run? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, man, this was such a great trip. So this is something we're going to do on an on a annual basis until I get too old to pull myself back into the little rubber boats that we use. But uh, basically in the, in the wild coast of South Africa, which is a stretch of the sort of um, eastern cape of South Africa, um, there's a phenomenon that occurs every year between sort of April and July. Um, and that is that billions, literally billions of sardines make a migration close to the coast. So they're driven up from the Antarctic by a current that's very nutrient rich. They're feeding in the nutrients and so on. They form these massive schools that look like oil slicks because there's so many fish in the water. Right. And they follow the coast and they head up eastward towards the Indian Ocean. That, of course, attracts a whole ton of predators. So you have two different species of dolphins. You have bottlenose and common dolphins. You have shark species. You have whales. You have, I mean... So essentially, we were down there for basically the entire month of July. Uh, we had two groups come and join us. We ran two boats. Uh, we're diving every day from inflatable ribs, one of the most professional and awesome dive teams I've ever dove with. Shout out to Pro Dive in South Africa, who are our hosts and uh, our guides down there were just absolutely world class, world class dive operation. Um, and uh and basically we just had a blast so every morning you get up it's you know before dark it's cold of course it's midwinter in uh in uh south africa in the southern hemisphere and we're doing a river launch out through surf in these rubber boats uh almost you know navy seal style it's it's insane get, just getting out to sea is a massive challenge right. uh, and then all day long you're looking for action so our, our guides have their eyes on the horizon they're looking for uh, clouds of birds in the sky, which is a good yeah. indication that there's action below it because they will start dive bombing. And then it, it, it's an adrenaline rush because they throw that boat into gear. They go from neutral to full throttle in like two seconds. Everyone grab on because <laughs> otherwise <laughs> you're coming out the boat. They charge to where the action is. They put you in ahead of it and you just watch these bait balls form, which are just a phenomenal thing. They're very mesmerizing just to watch a bait ball just yeah. swarm and, and like a tornado of fish. It's unbelievable. But then when the predators show up, Cape fur seals and dolphins coming through and feeding on the pods and jumping and all this kind of stuff, it's absolutely incredible to be in the water with that. Um, we also got super lucky. It was, it was my first time ever being in the water with killer whales, with orcas. Um, first time for me. First time ever in the water with a bride's whale that literally swam under my legs. Like wow. straight through um so yeah so we took the big camera rig for that we've shot a ton of footage from this year i'm working on the edit right now it's about 20 percent complete i think um so it's going to be a huge film when we release it on divers ready um and i can't wait for everyone to see it and we're going back again next year awesome awesome well, we'll that's what it is hopefully in a few years i'll be able to join you on that but you know um i'll be focusing on uh, <laughs> Uh, getting getting my dive my logbook up somewhere yeah. before then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, they want you to be advanced open water only because there is one dive that is about a hundred feet, about thirty meters. Right. It's an optional dive though. If you are a competent, comfortable diver, you all the action is at the surface. It's not deep. Right. But okay. you are in deep water. You're Understood. in. You're in relatively deep water, so you're looking down, and it's it's 
completely blue below you. Uh, but all the action's in the top 10 meters, so it's, it's really not very deep. Um, and a lot of the time as well, we weren't even on scuba because you just don't have the time to put scuba on and do a buddy check. So you just grab mask fins and snorkel right. and in you get, and you're on the surface, free dive down with the big camera rig, you know, come back up and you're just catching, you know, snapshots or, or snippets of the action. It's, you know, a lot of free diving as well. Um, so much free diving, in, in fact, that I'm actually doing a free diver, uh, instructor course in February, getting ready for next year's sardine run. Because I nice. felt like it, yeah, it, it booted me pretty hard this year. So I want to be better prepared myself. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, you know, James, that, that's uh, some good information. Thanks again for that. Uh, I have one more question for you before we close off. Sure. Um, if you had to choose a favorite marine animal, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I love eagle rays. I always love seeing spotted eagle rays um i don't know what it is about them other than the fact that they seem inquisitive but they're also quite shy but when one glides past you and it kind of looks at you you kind of get the feeling that it's checking you out and then with two quick swifts of its wings it's off and it takes off and they're just so elegant so graceful i love seeing multiple eagle rays when they're in formation they look like a squadron of planes um i, I just really always enjoy seeing them whenever i see them it makes my heart happy Right. So that, that's probably my favorite locally. Um, I, you know, and then obviously sort of the big stuff, the whales and, and sharks, obviously. But but no, I would I would say spotted eagle is my favorite. Nice. No, that's that's a good one uh, for me. I mean, I would have mentioned it before with, with other uh, guests that we've had, but I've always been um, fascinated by leatherback turtles. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, and they, they come to our shores. We actually have five of the seven sea turtles come into our shores for nesting so oh that's amazing yeah. that's awesome we we, we consider ourselves pretty lucky where that is concerned yeah, yeah. which two don't you have oh so i think it's the flatback and the olive ridley we don't have yeah yeah there you go. we have everything else um that's in amazing. fact very recently um we had a, a bit of a rough weather system passing through and uh, close to a beach where I was staying, uh, some eggs were on earth, uh, more than likely as a result of the weather. Um, we're not sure what type of eggs they were, but you know, those of us who were in the area attempted to, to cover the eggs just to, you know, hopefully some of them could be saved and yeah. would eventually hatch. But yeah, I, I mean, I have no idea what, what, what's, what variety it was. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, amazing. James, thanks a lot for taking the time of your schedule and uh, especially that time that could have been spent uh, editing that Sardine Run video. <laughs> Thank you so much, Larry, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you. Likewise, James. Likewise. So you keep good and um, I'll reach out to you whenever next I'm doing some traveling and I'm on that side of the world. I look forward to it. You're welcome yeah. here anytime. Come on it's, over. Yeah, it's just a three-hour flight for me, man. There you go. Yeah. All right, James. Keep good. Take care. Bye now.